Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Hello, it's Brendan here with Mark at vetgurus.com, episode 108. 189 Friday the 15th of May 2021 and we're getting close to that 190th episode where we're going to introduce all our wonderful prizes the swag as Mark and I like to call it for our giveaway for our one uh, our 200th episode which would be fantastic won't it Mark it's going to be thrilling and exciting I'm looking forward to it immensely who'd have thought it's like it's a double century greater than any sporting achievement in the history of Australia. And the swag is absolutely amazing. Commensurate um, with the... the <laughs> yes, with the, va- with the value of the podcast, yes, <laughs> definitely. Yes, definitely. Well, Mike, I, I want to jump into something fairly quickly because it might take a couple of minutes to go Go for this. it. I'm excited and, to... Uh, you, uh, before... before before we get the news, and that is, I went to a wedding. I, I can't remember whether I told you I went to a wedding last weekend. That just shows you how old I am getting. Mark, one of my nephews was married, so my sister's oldest son um, was married, and um, it was quite interesting. It was, I've got to tell you a couple of stories. It was everything you wanted um, and didn't want from a wedding, Mark. Uh, <laughs> everything cringe worthy and everything good and everything bad about a wedding. And it started, well, yeah, let's start at the beginning. It started, it was a, a garden ceremony in St Kilda Gardens here in Melbourne on a Saturday afternoon. And you know what the weather's like in Melbourne. It, they talk about Melbourne four seasons in one day and it was forecast to absolutely pour down in the afternoon and they were tossing up whether or not to have the garden ceremony or not. They hired a, a little rose garden section of this beautiful gardens in, in central Melbourne um, near near Albert Park Lake, which you, you will know the area, Mark, and uh, beautiful spot. Um, we found our little car park and all... All of us went, the four of us went, um, the family went, um, and uh, yeah, it was a beautiful sort of setup there with um, the, the white chairs and the little white, um, um, what do you want to call it, the white um, little runway um, for, for the bride there, and their dog came as one of the part of the, of the, um, of the wedding party there with, with flowers around her um, her head, I forget what her name was. A coolie was a breed mark, um, and she was actually quite lovely, lovely dog, and she behaved beautifully during the whole ceremony. So everybody was going ooh and ah and all that sort of thing as the dog got brought in by one of the maids of honour. And then the 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 um the father of the bride um walked the bride down to the um, front of the ceremony where the ceremony um commenced and and the the bride's family were, were country folk, um, lovely, lovely people um, from up near 
um, where our friend Doug is up at Mildura Way, um, so up on the up on Northern Victoria border there. So, um, but poor thing, he was he was in tears even before um, they started the walk there. He was just he just couldn't hold himself together. So um, it was lovely to see it, and everybody felt felt for him when that happened. And and then that then it looked like it was about to absolutely pour down, Mark. But the opposite happened. The sun came out just as the celebrant um, started um, doing the ceremony. Tip- of Melbourne. Yes, and I, but I must admit, I don't know about you, Mark. I've been to a few weddings, not not one for a fair while. But celebrants are different sort of people, aren't they? Um, and and this celebrant was more different than others, I think. And um, some quite odd phrases and, and comments, um, with with several mentions to a, a TV program here in Australia called. Um, um, maths, Mark. Um, 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 do you want to explain to our listeners what that is? I know some of the overseas countries do get this program, so do you want to quickly mention what that is? Well, maths is the I've, – I've never watched it. I've de- deliberately avoided it, but it's the um, um, Married at First Sight uh, reality TV program, and, and this was mentioned several times in the ceremony. Yes, yes. Tried to sort of contrast that that was a reality program and, and nothing to do with real life, and this was a real marriage. Um, but it didn't quite work, Mark. Um, and not not far into that sort of um, ceremony, which it only went for about ten minutes, um, I heard this buzzing. I heard this buzzing, and I looked up, and and one of the one of the um, girlfriends of one of the maids of honor or the or the groomsman i think sorry the groomsman girlfriend um was was flying a drone and filming um the wedding as well and it became increasingly annoying (laughs) during the during the ceremony and i was very close to getting a rock and and trying to swat it out of the sky mark it's a pretty small drone probably about the size of your of a fist um and we unfortunately never got to see any of the footage of that um um, I'm hoping to get that at some stage, but yeah, they, they were filming it at certain stages during during it. Um, and because this was a public garden, there was a, I, I, halfway through the ceremony, I think I was getting a little bit bored with the celebrant. I looked around and and there was a there was a, a little picnic rug um, just just not. F- 10 metres or so from, from the ceremony and there was a, this group of hippies there having a, having a little um, having a little smoko there um, and, and a few joints there and um, with their very loud shirts and that. And they were having a great time watching the wedding so they got a free little ceremony as part of their little little um, event in the session in, in, the, in, the, um, in the garden there, yes. So that was a ceremony so it went quite well and then the reception was at a it was at a, a rooftop um, um, section of a pub, um, and things didn't start off too good because we everybody was queued up to catch this little lift that only fit about four people, and I think there was one hundred and sixty people in the in the, in in the um, in the in the um, reception, um, and we just happened to be at the front there, and we were piled into the lift um, and, and got up to the roof, and they told us off and said you can't come up yet because they'd made a mess up with the book in the hotel, and that we were told the reception oh, wow. was at six pm, and and they said oh the room's not going to be ready till seven pm, so so my sister being my sister cracked it and um, managed to get everybody to get into this roof section anyway and we all started having all the pre-dinner dinner drinks etc um 
before before the actual se- reception started. And it was a stand-in reception, Mark. Wow. Have you been to these? And I don't know whether it's a thing these days with weddings, but um, there was hardly any seats there and there was only a few seats for the re- real oldies, not the oldies like me, But um, and you just stood up like you are at a conference there during the breaks um, and it was sort of finger food, you know, all the little wow. um, bits of finger food and, and bit which which was pretty tiring after about four hours <laughs> of, of sitting up there in, in the reception there. Um, and, and people kept drinking and, and, and taking a few of these little nibblies and that. And then it, as it does, it gets messier and messier, doesn't it, Mark? And then the speeches came. <laughs> and it was the best of times and the worst of times. And the maid of honour did a fantastic um, speech, very heartful and and, and um, brought a few tears to the eyes of everybody. The father of the bride um, gave a one-minute speech, speech saying, thank you all for coming, and um, that, that, that's, that was it for him. Um, and then um, there was another speech, which I won't say who it was, which was absolutely shocking. And it was one of those, you know, when you're at a speech and you're trying to look at your shoes or look up at the ceiling and um, the room's dead silent and they're droning on for about five or ten minutes with some very inappropriate um, comments and or jokes um, and you're just wanting it to finish. Um, so, And it did finish, thank goodness. And then uh, um, a bit of dancing happened and a bit more drinking and then um, it even got messier there. And then when they did the... Well, my, my the mother of the groom um, fell over um, at least twice in a in a complete heap, which is my sister. Um, they thought it was because she was drunk, but she has a dicky knee or a hip, and she collapsed in agony and, and oh, groan in pain um, a couple of times. <laughs> there was a bit of an incident or two there, and then then it came to the old. They still obviously do it. The, the throwing of the bouquet, Mark. Um, oh, um, always the, an opportunity uh, for things to get really messy. And it did, and I've never seen such aggressiveness in my life, Mark. Um, there was um, this one particular um, woman who who obviously wanted that bouquet, um, and yeah, she literally um, pushed one person in the back, um, and this woman face planted into the floor of the dance floor um, and smacked her head and almost was knocked out cold. And she elbowed the other person on the side of her um, and and went up to take a mark um, and, and managed to get it. And then she did a lap of honour around the dance floor, holding the bouquet in front of everybody, showing them that she she caught it. And again, the whole room just went silent <laughs> as she did it. So it was um, quite an interesting night. And then, yeah, um, later on the the other thing that I really um, remember, there was some fairly old, old man. He was probably about eighty or so. I don't think he was even part of the wedding party. Who was he was on the dance floor himself, dancing with this imaginary waltzing with an, an imaginary dance part, partner on his own, and he was alternating between a waltz with this imaginary partner and, and um, doing air guitar. Um, it was it was fantastic. <laughs> um, and no, it wasn't me. <laughs> it was, um, so so that was the wedding. So it was. Um, yeah, everything you could expect. It was it was like um, you know if you've seen the film The Wedding Singer, um, it was very similar to some of the things that sort of go on in there, um, including a few other little bits and pieces with the with the with the um, with the DJ as well. So there you go, Mark. That was my that was my weekend last weekend. The most important thing is that it's memorable for the. Uh for the you know the main couple and from what you've described it sounds like it would have been truly a memorable day i think they will 
hopefully they'll be. Um, it, it'll mean that they will stay happily married forever now, Mark. Um, and I think um, most of our subscribers and listeners have now tuned out because they thought they'd be listening to a, a veterinary podcast. And here I have been droning on about a wedding um, that occurred last weekend. So I'm going to jump into my news story, Mark, and it's a it's a pretty quick one. And I like this one because it talks about the blob, and the title of the article is millions of dead jellyfish are washing up around the world and the blob could be to blame and some pretty amazing photos there mark of 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 jellies washing up in yes washing up in beaches in sardinia and, and other places but um the 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 bottom line with this particular article is that um it was observations from a from a marina Ecology progress series where they're, um, they're actually studying seabirds, Mark, yeah. um, and they researchers found nearly 500 reports of, of strandings of, of the jellies um, over on over 300 beaches, and they think it's tied to jellyfish die-offs are, are tied or co- coincided with a massive marine heat wave known as the Blob, which has been noticed since 2013 um so intense warming continues um in and and what happens is the the jellies love it because um that the food for the jellies as the ocean in temperature increases um such as anchovies etc um um increase so the jellies have a great time um and they um reproduce and um they have a really good time and then eventually the um the seasonal winds that's involved with that blob blows the jellyfish ashore um, and they end up having these mass strandings, Mark. Um, have you ever tried to to um, push back a jelly that's stranded, Mark, into the ocean? <laughs> Many times. How did you know? Oh, you're that kind of touchy-feely person. <laughs> um, that's why, yes. So it's good and bad. I mean, they, they've tied it into... Um, the usual climate change there um, so the the jellies have a great time for a, for a for a short period of time until they're washed off on the shore so they they're there for a good time not a long time mark when i thought when i thought um the blob was a main factor in this story i thought oh it's going to be like another jellyfish that renders them unable to navigate the currents or whatever but um it's um it's ironic that they give a big war of uh, uh, such a I don't know, a living name to a big warm chunk of ocean water um, that uh, that causes the problem. Winners and losers, yes. Brendan. Yes, exactly. What do you have for us? Um, my story is um, the, the actual article is a little bit longer, but it, the essence of it is uh, probably no longer than yours. Um, the bald eagles have been dying... Um, in moderate numbers, um, f- apparently from a poisoning for nearly three decades now, um, and um, and postmortems have revealed a mysterious neurodegenerative disease as the cause, um, and um, the problem uh, manifests itself histopathologically as a vacuolar myelinopathy, um, and. Um, and so they end up with uh, nervous system diseases. And the the, uh, the the pathology was first identified in 1994 when a large number of bald eagle carcasses were found near DeGray Lake in Arkansas. Um, it's been a slow and tedious process of um, 
you know, science, citizen science, like you said in your article, scientists from other um, other areas, and and uh, but gradually, what's been deduced is that a um, an invasive plant which supports a particular species of cyanobacteria result in a concentration of toxin, which as it climbs the food chain and gets to the um, the bald eagles, results in damage to their nervous system. Um, and I think uh, I'm going to have a crack at uh, the, so the species of um, species of, plant is Hydrilla verticillata. Um, Hydrilla is native to Central Africa and um, like many, um, you know, has been imported to that sort of uh, Central uh, Florida and, and then become invasive throughout the, um, the uh, um, all parts of America. And it's carried with it a uh, cyanobacteria called Atochthonosis, Atochthonus Hydrocola, which leads to a toxinotoxicosis. <laughs> so there you go. I've managed to say the word, if not pronounced correctly. Um, but the the critical thing is that some lakes where the uh, plant grows, there's no um, toxicity recognised because um, bromium uh, bromide. Uh, is critical for the plants, the the uh, cyanobacteria, to produce the toxin. Um, so yeah, um, it's great that it's been elucidated. It uh, it allows um, obviously for people to recognise the lakes where the plant is for tests to be carried out on the bromide concentration and potentially um, the control of the problem in eagles. And even more importantly, um, possibly uh, hunters will eat uh, many of the birds and animals in these areas that could be less acutely affected. And so it would be good that waterfowl hunters uh, don't Died. Well, I didn't say that. <laughs> but anyway, um, it's a great story that uh, such a complicated disease has been well elucidated. And isn't it ironic that bromide um, helps stop this and that bromide is in the, um, some of these herbicide runoffs um, in these areas? <laughs> yes. Um, the irony is not lost that the cause could be... <laughs> Worse than the problem. Yes, yes. Well, 25 years, gee, I'd, I'd, I'd hate, hate to be that researcher that's been trying to find out the cause of it and they finally nutted it out after 25 years and then they, they retire, Mark, or even worse if they had retired before somebody else yes. walks in and finds that cause. Or even yes. worse, they hadn't retired and someone else found it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, most definitely. <laughs> Good. Well, we won't ha we won't do a uh, a review this week. Um, we'll have to do a couple of reviews um, of of products, etc., um, and gear because we're going to jump into our main topic, which is one that you suggested, Mark, um, a very long time ago. Because we do see this occasionally. I don't know how many of these you see, Mark, but I may see one once a year, or then I may see two in a month um, with this. So it's a, a, a rare-ish condition, and that is aneurysms um, in a specific species of reptile, a bit of dragons. And it's been well reported, and there's certainly several papers out there um, describing case reports of these aneurysms in bearded dragons and it is a fascinating syndrome or condition in it 
their medicine at Mark. So what do we see, Mark? What do we see? Well, the main thing that we um, – there's probably uh, one main sign that alerts me to it, and um, that's exophthalmus, um, that a prominent um, uh, eye, particularly prominent eye, an asymmetric eye gives us a lot of um, concern that maybe beneath that eye one of the uh, – blood vessels has developed a, a, a varicocele or aneurysm, um, some vascular anomaly which allows for the accumulation of blood and, and that acts as a, a, a physical mass effect which pushes the eye out. Um, we do see occasionally we will see um, lizards that, uh, um, that don't have particularly good appetite or just you know, general malaise, not doing well. Um, and we have had lizards that have aneurysms in the cervical region. Um, they're probably the two most common presentations that we see. Um, so, but um, it's a thing I, we always keep in mind with bearded dragons now because unlike you, we see it um, reasonably regularly and it's turned up a couple of times on uh, post-mortems where we've had... Um, uh, blood vessel problems within the abdomen or um, and uh, and I think it's probably a, at least in our population of patients uh, um, you know not rare I wouldn't say every lizard that comes in has it but it's surprisingly common yes perhaps I'm missing ones that I'm seeing in front of me mark <laughs> and yet I'm not diagnosing them I mean the classic the classic ones that are certainly reported in the papers are where we have those big Big massive swellings in the throat or the neck region there um, with the aneurysm, aneurysms there. I think they're particularly the carotid artery, isn't it, um, mostly in those ones. Um, so my other question to you, Mark, is, is is this a syndrome or a condition that's only seen in bearded dragons? Do we see it in other species? Have you seen it in other species, Mark? We have seen it in blue tongues as well. Um, and that sort of throws a little bit of a curveball in our direction because for a long time, um, did you have any, um, any thoughts about what might be causing it, Brendan? You, of course, Husbandry. <laughs> husbandry, bad husbandry, I think. I lump it into sort of husbandry issues and that um, with them that, that things have been going not quite right. Well, two, two things I think of it. One is husbandry, and that's everything from the just poor diet, UV, lack of UV, or the metabolic bone disease type conditions, etc. cetera. Um, you know, the, the other, and, and all the papers that are out there, all of them, their bottom line is that we really haven't nutted out the exact cause of this, and I expect that there's multifactorial with them, um, so they call it um, unknown the actual um, cause of it. But but certainly, um, I never think stops, a lot of them that never stops me from having an opinion about what I reckon it might be. <laughs> Absolutely, um, and and obviously vascular conditions and you know cardiac disease etc. I'd always put on put on the list there, and that maybe we do have some primary issues there with with functional um, cardiovascular issues. Um, breeding problems, Mark. I reckon um, so you've nailed I, it there. I, I reckon uh, it, this is most likely, when it's nutted out, my tip will be that it's an um, incubation issue, um, that uh, that 
issues associated with um, incubation, whether it's precise hydration or precise temperature, leads to developmental problems, particularly the weakness in the walls of those vessels in the head and neck, um, and thereby they become weak and, and under particular situations of poor husbandry, as you highlighted, that lead to um, blood pressure changes. Um, bang, the thing blows out like a tyre and then you've got uh, this bloody big lump of static but not clotting blood in the in the tissues of the head and neck. Yes, so that brings us to what do we do with these marks? Say if you have one of the classic ones where you have that big, big blood blister, or as the clients often call it, in, in the neck region there, what do you do with that patient in front of you? Well, we... we what can you do, Brendan? Is that my question to you? Yes, um, I, we do make a, a, a an explanation to the client that our options are relatively limited and that the options are risky. Um, I don't think any particular medication. Once they've got the lump, this is not a uh, um, a, a condition that medication will help. You have to, if the clients desperately want something done, you have to contemplate surgery. Um, and, of course, uh, the operation on a, um, uh, um, well, you're right, the most common location is that carotid. Um, the, the, uh, the risks are significant. Um, and so, um, but uh, that that's our really... The only option I have to give my clients uh, is to, and it's a messy surgery, isn't it? <laughs> yes, and the uh, the aim with that surgery is to sort of stop that sort of oozing or, or aneurysm there, and to go in there and put a bit of a vascular clip on there. And um, I, I think several of the papers, if you do a bit of a search for aneurysms in bearded dragons, also show some pretty pictures of, of using those Liger clips or, or Hema clips um, on there. And even, I think there's a couple with even CT scans um, showing those those big aneurysms there. But, but yeah, that's stopping that immediately immediate blowout in theory. But, gee, uh, the, the very few that I've attempted there, they're, it's not easy, is it? You've just got this huge amount of blood there and you're trying to identify where that, that source of that um, blowout is in, in that um, vessel and it can be a challenge um, to put it <laughs> to put it mildly um very and yeah otherwise we'd yes it, and 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 then we're obviously having a bit of a serious chat to the client about the 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 um quality of life of this animal and the fact that we may not be able to fix fix this thing and it's not just this one that's a it's an indicator of that aneurysm that that there's some major issues going on with that animal systemically and that um we may not be able to fix it. So, yeah, um, it, it, they can be very frustratingly difficult um, cases, Mark, and the prognosis, in my opinion, is is, is not good. It's good. Uh, how do we prevent it, Mark? Well, uh, maximise husbandry. Um, yeah, I think the key thing that we can do is uh, ensure that the lizard doesn't suffer from um, metabolic bone de disease, has appropriate uh, calcium metabolism, um, that it has an appropriate nutrition, appropriate levels of exercise. Um, those uh, um, uh, rapid changes in blood pressure are obviously much better controlled if the lizard is adequately exercised. Um, so I think uh, all those things help. I think the difficult thing is because 
uh, it's likely a congenital weakness um, that even some of the th- lizards that have almost ideal husbandry are still going to develop the problem. So um, uh, making sure that you deal with experienced um, herpetoculturists who have a sound understanding of breeding and uh, particularly incubation, um, I think that's, uh, um, you know, start with good stock and give them good husbandry. So just one question regarding to the breeding issue there mark so do you think it's a just the incubation thing or it's the actual inbreeding process as well or both i i I don't think that it's an inbreeding um i think that it's um inappropriate incubation it, it might be um one of the things that um I recognise in the bird population we see is that the nutrition of the parents plays a result in the quality of the the egg that um, then can set a particular individual bird on a course for life. And and definitely we've had birds who have had, you know, hand-reared birds who've had excellent husbandry, but they came from parents that were very poorly fed, and those birds can suffer metabolic bone disease as a result of the faults inset in their, um, not so much genetics, but just in the the health of the egg. Um, so, yeah, I suspect that um, the the uh, the quality of the the parents' health, the the quality of the incubation, I think they're going to be the major factors. I don't think I don't, we don't see a, um, a close relationship in the parents as a common theme in the the ones that we can identify the parents. Yes. Excellent. One other question I've a- got for you before we finish this punchy, <laughs> punchy episode. Um, do, do you ever? I've, I've, we've taken two um, whacking the ultrasound probe on these guys. Um, that there are other things that cause lumps in the neck of lizards, um, in particular some abscesses, but there are other things as well. And um, we've found whacking the ultrasound on to be a really useful tool to make us more confident um, that we have a. Um, that we have a, um, an, a, you know, a vascular anomaly that it's a fluid-filled thing, and um, and with a little bit of luck, we can, um, you know, notice the circular, the small amount of blood. There's like a huge amount of blood that doesn't move, doesn't congeal, but it's just jiggled around by the lizard's movement enough that it doesn't clot. Um, but you can see sometimes the what do they call it, egress and ingress of the the, um, the blood from the carotid into that uh, vessel if you've got the facility. I love it when you throw a few good words in there, Mark, ingress and egress. Yes, good point, good point. Well, aneurysms in bearded dragons. Now we know everything about the condition that nobody knows anything about, Mark. <laughs> the way I've spent most of my professional life. Yes. And I think with that, Mr. Outro's here and we will talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.